0: Good morning. Oh good, you're awake. Let's see what I can do about that. Um, It is November 16th, and while that's not a big deal to you, it is a big deal to me because uh, not of what November 16th is, is uh, more as what November 16th is not. Because you see, November 16th is not a holiday weekend, nor is it a low attendance Sunday. And I've been here six and a half years, and this is the first Non-holiday, non-low attended Sunday that I've preached. So I have arrived. If you, they, thank you, thank you, and to show me that they could trust me with such an awesome power, they gave me five months to prepare for it. So let's dive in real quick. Over the past five months, uh, we we were sitting in staff meeting. and They said, "Would you like to preach?" Sure, that's great. And so I started taking a step back and looking. ...at our church and starting to pray. Okay, God, what do you want me to say to these people? What do you want me to, to, to bring from your word? And slowly but surely over the past five months... Uh, ...these words that you're about to hear is what God gave to me... Um, ...what I believe God gave to me. But it started with me looking at our church. And honestly, in five months... ...you, you may have noticed this, you may not have... ...we have kind of dove into the deep end of Transition... We've been doing this transition thing so long it doesn't, uh, transition actually feels like tradition at this point. And we've looked at a number of things. Like this summer we navigated the uh, summer worship series. Uh, some of you really liked that, some of you really did not. We took note. Um, we've navigated one versus two services. We just spent some time in prayer and discernment. Uh, We had a staff member resign and and go to another job. Okay, well, what does that look like? How does that impact us? What do we do with that transition? And in the end, we started looking at it, but in the end, the conversations that I had with you guys focused around uh, really one thing, and that was we want to see our church grow. And that growth was not just uh, a numerical, but that was definitely part of it. It, You know, we we want our church to grow numerically, but it was also, we want our church to grow spiritually. So we don't, uh, you know that song, deep and wide? We want both of those. We want wide and deep. Growth has been a common thought on the people I've talked to over the past five months. And so uh, I grabbed my Bible as I'm prepping for the sermon. I grabbed my Bible and I I said, okay, what... Where do we see church growth? And the first thing that popped into my mind was Acts 2. Acts 2 is kind of a a, a bread and butter for church growth. And so that's where uh, you you heard the scripture earlier. That's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in. We're actually going to look at uh, these two passages line by line today. And as you notice, uh, we are trending early. So I have a good 45 minutes to do this. So buckle up. So when you look at Acts uh, 2, there's... uh, You you see a sense, you get a sense of this church growth. In fact, one verse says that 3,000 people were baptized on one day. Man, can you imagine that? 3,000 people on one day. And so, we want to dive in, but I want to get to really where the the, the list is, you know, the the list. We we started with verse 42, and that's going to be up on the screen so you can follow me. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay, there's a lot in this verse. We're going to have to break that down a little bit. At first, we see that they are digging into the teaching of the apostles. Uh, There was no Bible. It had not been uh, bound together into one book yet, and so they're basing their teachings on letters that were circulating around, and you you see these letters, a lot of them in the Gospels. You see uh, the letters of Paul later on in the, um, what we call the New Testament, and so really, they, were, they weren't having a Bible study, they were having an apostle study. They were studying the words and the life of Jesus as given to them by the apostles. And they were doing this um, regularly. And so the early church that was growing, they were having Bible study, essentially. All right, check, we got that. We've got Bible study. Uh, to fellowship. Now, in the uh, Baptist church, we have a different little take on uh, fellowship. Most of the time, fellowship for us includes a meal uh, sit down, maybe a potluck, you bring your, you know, you bring your specialty item uh, as is that one thing that you brought that was really good that one time. And somebody said, I like that. And so then you have brought it for 30 years. That's uh, what we think of fellowship. But the biblical concept of fellowship is a little bit different. Uh, a biblical concept of fellowship denotes something a little bit deeper. It's not just us hanging out together and having a meal and talking. It is a deeper fraternal bond. Uh, an example that I could, the closest example I can think of is servicemen and women, maybe police officers, maybe firemen. Uh, They risk their lives in the line of their their duty. And when two service uh, people see each other, maybe they don't know each other, maybe they they meet and they say, well, hey, I was was in the armed forces as well. There's a bond there because they understand the sacrifice that they have, uh, that each of them have put in. There's this connection, even though they don't know each other, because they have a commonality, and that's the fellowship that they're talking about uh, in the Bible. So they had, um, they studied the Bible, they, they fellowship, they had this commonality that drew them together. Uh, in fact, as we see later in Acts, we see that Saul, later Paul, would be killing the Christians. So essentially, their decision to follow Christ was uh, essentially an execution stat, uh, decision, they could be executed for the heresies of, of following Jesus Christ. Now, if that doesn't bring people together, I don't know what will. So they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to fellowship and to the, uh, to the breaking of bread. Okay, you can relax now. This is the eating part. Uh, as good Baptists, we love to eat. So they broke bread together. Uh, How many of you guys, you you like to go out to eat, or you like having family in? Amanda was talking about Thanksgiving. How many of you like having family in uh, to to hang out? How many of you you don't really like having family in because there's that crazy uncle who always comes and messes things up? Um, I I was talking to my niece last night, and I was like, am I the crazy uncle? Please tell me. I don't want to be that. But there's something about sharing a meal together. Uh, Every Tuesday, uh, the staff after staff meeting, we all go out to lunch together. And that's a time where we we come together and we share our lives, we share our hearts, we share our dreams, our our fears, um, we usually make a lot of jokes, we laugh. It's a time for us to come together. And the early church knew this, and they, so they, uh, not only did they fellowship, they broke bread, they ate together regularly. And then to prayer. uh, And so prayer, obviously, I don't think anybody would disagree that that is a really important part of church growth. And so, Verse 42, man, that's a lot of good things. De- devoting to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Those are all amazing things that the church is doing. We've got a great to-do list uh, if we want to grow. Let's, uh, let's keep going. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, this shows you that apparently there are some uh, signs, some miracles that the apostles were doing in the early church. Uh, that w- were drawing a crowd. Um, yep, maybe we could slip one of those in. We'll just add that to the list. So uh, wonders, signs, miracles, we'll add that to our list of things that we should do uh, to grow. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. All of the church had everything in common back then. Uh, that doesn't mean that they just were, you know, they, they liked the same team. They weren't all UVA fans, or they weren't all Virginia Tech fans. I know they weren't all Duke fans because there's only like three of us, and everybody hates us anyway, um, but that's not what this means. It doesn't mean, hey, I like the same music. Uh, they weren't, the church wasn't, hey, we all like contemporary music, so we're going to gather together and do that, do that together. That's not what this means. Uh, this means that they shared everything they had. They saw each other kind of like family. Uh, there's an example of this that happened to me a couple weeks ago as I... I was in a meeting here, and I realized I had to go pick up my son uh, back in the West End in, like, 13 minutes. And so I was frantic. I was, I was, I I get out of my car, you know, pockets, do that thing. I don't have any keys. And so I was running back and forth through, God bless this edition because it saved so much time that day, uh, running back and forth trying to find my keys. Everybody in the office was asking me where they were. You know, where was the last place you had them? Well, if I knew that, I would find them. But the, uh, at one point, uh, Tanya Cottrell said, listen, here are my keys. Take my car. Go get your son. And I, I remember being struck by that afterwards. And, you know, I got, I got her car, and it was a big SUV, and I was, I was about to pull out of the parking lot. And then I remembered, obviously, where my keys were because that's when it happens, right when you're about to do something else. Uh, and, but I remember thing she said, I don't need it. I'm going to be here no matter what. You take my car. They shared, the early church shared what they had in common. I mean, they shared what they had with each other. And then um, they, every day, they can, t- actually, they, num- verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Now, if you take, uh, it wasn't just the sharing of the items. Sometimes the, the, the early church was full of poor people. Uh, in fact, I read somewhere that the vast majority were living in poverty. And so anytime that there was a need, say there was a family that didn't have food, and there was no way, say you know, I, I was, um, uh, someone was in need and I, needed to, I wanted to help them out, but I didn't really have money to buy them food. They would say, you know what, you don't have food? Here, let me sell my car, and then we're going to take the money that we get from it, and we're going to split it. And I'm going to give money to you so that you have food. Uh, and I'll keep this half because I need food too. Uh, but the, the early church, everything was on the table. They said, you know what? We care about each other so much that nothing is going to stand in the way of taking care of each other. They had everything in common. They, they sold their possessions to help those around them. Uh, they weren't overly attached to their stuff. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of of all the people. They met every, they had church every day. I don't, I can't even get my mind around that. Philip is turning red up here. He doesn't know how he's feeling about that. Um, They had church every day. They met together every day and they were overwhelmed and they met together with glad and sincere hearts all the time, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And here's the key. The Lord added to their number daily. And so I'm reading this scripture and I'm like, church growth, it's right here. 3,000 people get saved. And then God is adding to their number daily. It's not just a numerical thing that you can see that they're, they're obviously growing together as a people they're growing wide and deep. All right, well, that's it. We can end the service now. We have a good list of things to do, a uh, good little list of things to tackle if we want to grow both numerically and in depth. Uh, so we're, we're, we're good to go, all right? Now, unfortunately, I, I was thinking that, and God kept laying on my heart something else. And so he he, he kind of took me to the book of Revelation, and if you were listening when Philip was reading, it's not uh, the, the, the cheeriest of uh, Bible passages. It's not like when you sit down, like when I sit down with Kate and Drew at bedtime, I'm not going to pull up Revelation 2 as, as our go-to chapter. Uh, the list from 42 to 47 in Acts is not necessarily a bad thing. But God was telling me that there's something else. Just making a list of things to do is not what we are called to do as Christians. It's not the way that, that we can grow as a people. And so we turn to the book of Revelations 2. Uh, in Revelation 2, there are a lot of letters from, from Jesus, from God, to the church, uh, seven churches, actually, that were in those days. Uh, and the one today is to the church of Ephesus, which is where we get Ephesians. The, the Book of Ephesians was a letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus, and so we 're looking at this this um, passage, this letter. Now, can you imagine getting a, a letter? Uh, that was the way that they communicated It was kind of like the Wells Fargo wagon of uh, the first century was when when there was a letter, everybody came together. It was a big party they sang i don't i 't know if they sang, but I was, now i 've got the Wells Fargo wagon thing in my head, uh, but they, they, it was a community event they all gathered to the synagogue, and so it was you know, hey, there's a letter. We have a letter. Oh, a letter! All right, everybody, get in, get in, get in. Let's listen to see who's it from. Well, it's uh, written by John. Oh, we like John. John's John's a good guy. Well, actually, it, John wrote it. It's from God, directly from God. Um. Oh, okay. Well, well, that's cool. We get a letter from God, and so we get to what Philip was reading earlier, uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Right. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's kind of an odd verse, but essentially it's saying, this letter has authority straight from God. So the people listening, their ears would perk up. And they, Oh, it, it really is from God. That's good. All right, all right. All right. Let's see what it says. <coughs> Church of Ephesus, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary can you see the church of ephesus like well look who got a letter from god and what does it say we're awesome we are clearly the best church that's out there we have um this letter it says church of ephesus i know your hard work your diligence your good deeds you don't tolerate wicked people you can sense the people are like, God likes us. He really likes us. God is saying to the church of, at Ephesus, great job, everyone. Boy, that keratos, you knocked that out of the park. The clinic you put on, that, man, you helped a lot of people. That's amazing. You even raised uh, money for this group, or, and you got food for this group, for the first Sunday food offering, and you faced some tough times. Yeah there's some uh, transitions that you that you went through they were tough. Some people even left. But you guys did not lose heart. You kept at it. Way to go. I mean if you're listening to this as as a person there's no pride that overwhelms you more than this right now. It is they're so excited by what God has said and they're they're hanging on the edge of their seats. It is just the letter that you would hear about a church who had Three amazing pastors, uh, Apollos, a guy named Paul, and a guy named Timothy were all elders in the church at Ephesus. They all led that church at some point. So you would expect this church to get this letter. Their pride must have been through the roof. And then there was a but. Actually, it's a yet. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. God levels the church at Ephesus in two sentences. You've lost your first love. You've forsaken it. The thing that was most important to you is not in the driver's seat anymore. And and I don't know if you guys are catching the idea. I'm trying to be a little blunt because that's how the the text reads. But he's saying, Ephesus, you're doing everything right. Every program you, you could think of, every idea, it's all perfect except for one thing. You forgot about me. Your love for me is no longer what drives you to do these things. These programs became more important than your love for me. And I'm warning you today that if it doesn't change, your church will not only not grow, it will no longer exist. That's brutal. That's a tough word. And I can't imagine what the, the room felt like in the synagogue when this letter was being read to the church at Ephesus. Probably a little silent, just like that. You see, I think... The the American church, the churches, we look at it across the country, sometimes across the world. I think that's what we do today. I think we focus so much on the things that we can do that sometimes we lose our first love. To us, our programs, our events, our ministries can be more important than the reason why we do them in the first place. We have a tendency to look for the quick fix. How do we grow our church? I know, let's look at Acts 2. 42 through 47. That's some stuff that the church did, and they grew every single day. God added to their number. All right, let's see. Let's, uh, let's do this. All right, okay, we're gonna, what about that? Let's do that. Well, let's do more fellowship dinners. Let's pray more. Let's create ministries to help people. Like I said, these are not bad things. These are actually all great things, but according to Revelation 2, it's not enough. And so I I want to take a second to go back to Acts 2 and ask ourselves, what makes this church different? What's different between the church in Acts 2 and the church in Revelation 2? And for that, we need to go all the way back to uh, chapter 2, verse 1 of Acts. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can follow along. I don't have these these verses on the screen because it's a lot. In in chapter 2, we see Pentecost, so the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Pentecost, uh, in the Holy Spirit, in Baptist worlds, we get a little nervous uh, when the Holy Spirit comes up, uh, if you give in to the Holy Spirit, there might be dancing, there might be all kinds of weird things that make us uncomfortable speaking in tongues. Uh, that's our thought of, when, our first thought when we start thinking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a lot more to the Holy Spirit uh, than that, but, but that's kind of the things that come up first. So we see that happen, and then uh, what happens is they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and these people go out and just start telling people about Jesus. Um, and they start speaking, actually they speak in uh, a version of tongues uh, in Acts 2. They're speaking, and everyone hears uh, the message in their own language. People start uh, criticizing them and saying, this is just weird, you've had too much to drink, uh, and, and Peter says, no, stop, think about this. And Peter does something interesting. He goes back to the prophets, he says, you know, the prophet Joel, who you love, who you know, you memorize Joel's prophecy, he said that one day we were going to get the Holy Spirit, and that's now. And then he says, what about David? You love David, King David, man after God's own heart. He talked about one day there's going to be a Messiah that comes. And he's going to be killed and resurrected. Well, I'm here to tell you that God resurrected Jesus. And therefore, and he says this, uh, starting in, I think, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit, the promise for you and your children, and for all who are fall off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And then 3,000 people were baptized and saved that day. And so when you look at the the church in Acts 2, you have to understand one thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is their first love. It is their reason for life itself. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that literally. Because like I said, they were about to be killed for this belief. This was their life. And it overwhelmed them and flew, uh, flowed out of them. And as a result, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They broke bread together and took care of each other. The list that we talked about at the beginning in uh, 42 through 47, that's not a to-do list for us to copy and to mimic and say, this is how we're going to grow. That list isn't what happened when the people of God were overwhelmed by the gospel of Jesus. When something overwhelms your heart, people don't need to ask about it. You're going to tell them, no matter what. Uh, there's a clear story about this uh, from my experience. Uh, my sophomore year in college, I was uh, Molly and I were dating. We'd been dating about a year when Valentine's Day had come up. And I really had some ground to make up because it may or may not have been the, f- uh, a, 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 I might have caused a problem, our first Valentine's Day together. I won't go into that story. It's a different story, but it involves bagels and cereal. Um, so you can, don't judge me, but, uh, so this second time, I, I, I really needed to knock the ball out of the park, and a couple months before, uh, Valentine's Day, we, I was sitting in the student union, and my friend Will came up, he said, Green Hill, Green Hill, I went to this place the other night, you, you can't, I can't even tell you, they had this steak there, it was amazing, it was the best thing I've ever put in my mouth, you have to have it no matter what, and I was like, Will, what, what, what was it, he's like, so it's a steak, and they put a piece of semi-sweet chocolate in it, and it melts through, and it fuses into the meat, and then they cover it in espresso beans, and it's all seared, and it's all juicy, and he, and he talked about that for five minutes, and, and, and how great it was, and how amazing, and I was like, wow, that, that sounds pretty cool, and you know, I went about my day, didn't, never really thought about it, and so fast forward to uh, February 13th, I'm planning for Valentine's Day because I like a challenge and I was driving, and I come across this restaurant, and uh, in, in Blowing Rock, and I, I park, I go, in, I go up to the, the, the door, and I say, um, or I go up to, they have the menu outside, and I learned two very crucial facts at that moment. One, the menu didn't have any prices on it. I, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant then. <laughs> I, I know now, but I didn't know what that meant then. And two, chocolate steak Uh, it has some fancy name it's not called chocolate steak but it has some fancy name and 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 that was it i'm like redemption i am there this is gonna happen and so uh the next night i took molly out to this restaurant uh and she bought this steak and um so I, i asked her for a taste and and she gave me a taste and have you ever eaten something that was so good you made a noise and you didn't realize and then you realize you're in a fancy restaurant well that was me that night uh, it was something like, whoa, whoa, and you get excited. I, I like to eat, and so it was a big deal for me. I had, I think, I, I got maybe five bites off her um, before I ate my own dinner. But here's the deal: it was the best steak I'd ever had. And when I got home, it wasn't a thing about, hey, we went to this cool place last night. You should check it out. It was you have got to try this steak. It is amazing. It was actually $27. Um, for a college student, that is a bit much. Today, it's actually 48 It's $44 today to buy the steak. Um, uh, the check came in with 70, uh, $76. And I was never more excited because of two reasons again. One, because it was worth every dollar that I put at it, is to have a taste of that steak. I mean, Two, it was because I had eighty-three dollars in my account, and so I was, I was, I was still out a good. What what is that? $76, Seventy-six, eighty-three. That's a, uh, seven dollars. So I was good. Gas, I could make it home. But the thing was, is that the cost was completely worth it. And the second I got home, I was telling everybody about it. You now we went uh, we went to Cribbins three years in a row, and every year I, I will say that I, I ate steak. I was allergic to beef. And so I I ate the steak knowing that in six hours I was going to break out in hives. Um, And it was that good. It was completely worth it. The greatness of this meal compelled me to tell others about it. And that's a steak. The gospel of Jesus Christ is so much bigger. It's so much better. Because my sin, I deserve death. Because of my sin, I was separated from God. But Jesus, Jesus came and died for my sins. Jesus took my punishment, and now I can be close to God. I can enjoy him forever, and I can live because Christ died in my place. It's overwhelming. It's huge, and this is what the church in Acts 2 knew. This is what the American church needs. We need to drastically refocus our lives on our first love. We need to recapture that amazement and wonder at what Jesus Christ has done for us. Uh, I had a friend who, uh, she was telling me this story about her sister who came to Christ when she was in college. And she, she ran into the room one day and she's like, Heather, 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 check this out. I just found the best verse in the entire Bible. And Heather was like, oh, well, cool, cool. Well, what is it? Check this out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him will shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? This is the best for, and Heather, isn't there? yeah, that's yeah, John 3.16. Good for you. Like, and then she, it hit her. She said, I was no longer amazed by the simple truth, the amazing truth of John 3.16. So often, like the church at Ephesus, we get caught up doing things, and we forget the most important thing. Guys, today, I want to challenge you. There's going to be a meditation time. And I want you to think on a few questions. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the gospel? When was the last time that you were amazed by God's grace? If you've lost your first love, take a moment to confess that to God and repent of it. And ask God to fill your heart with the excitement of knowing Christ. And let it overflow so that others may see. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the story of your son who died for our sins so that we may know you forever. It's a common story for so many of us. God, help us to recapture that amazing grace, that amazing love, that overwhelming knowledge that we are lost without you, but with you we are found. Help us to reignite the flames of our heart so that we may understand your love and as a result, be so compelled by it that we can't stop from telling everyone around us. God, hear our prayers today. In your name we pray. Amen.